Hello folks, happy new year 2019, welcome to the new year, hope you guys have a good break, uh, had a good Christmas, had a good holiday break, uh, I know Alex and I had some, ha- Alex had such a nice holiday that he's actually virtually here today, he's not here in, in person, but I'm sure he wishes you a happy new year as well. Um, we just want to crack off this new year with uh, some fantastic episodes coming around, um, we've just recorded one uh, which is about a what cloud solution. It's it's kind of pseudo business technical, uh, and we have a couple of solutions architects that's talking us through it. Uh, as we kick it off, we're going to do a few more episodes, but absolutely look out for our our new stuff that's coming across. And if you have any recommendations, any questions, fire us up on Twitter or email or any other method you choose. Okay, have a good week. So we've talked a lot recently about uh, high-level business concepts around cloud. We've talked about much more low-level detail elements around you know, certain elements you might implement within cloud. But what I don't think we've necessarily talked about is um, you know, why cloud, what in cloud, and, and potentially what are the kind of considerations you need to have when adopting cloud. So what we thought we'd do is bring in a couple of cloud experts. Yep. Um, so we have Mark and Kev here joining us this, this afternoon. So what I'll do is I'll ask them to introduce themselves. Mark? Uh, hi everyone, I'm Mark. I've uh, been a solution architect for about eight years combined. I've always worked in the managed services uh, industry, mm-hmm. um, bar two years at the very start of my career, where I was working for a pharmaceutical company as a second line, third line Lotus Notes engineer. Ah, so not a drug tester or anything? Uh, sadly <laughs> not. <laughs> and Kev? Yeah, hi, uh, Kevin Kennedy, a uh, solution architect as well. Uh, not worked as a solution architect as long as Mark, so only about three years now. But I previously used to work more of a support role. Uh, I'm a bit like Alex, a bit of a VMware fanboy originally, uh, <laughs> till, um, as this episode talks about, we've evolved into cloud and a lot of public clouds. Um, good stuff. Excellent. Awesome. So um, just in terms of, you know, let's, let's kind of start from the start, okay? Um, you guys have been working in the cloud architecture space for a while. Um, what kind of trends have you been seeing from the kind of conversations that you've had with customers, let's say going back five years ago to today? What do you reckon, Mark? Uh, so right now, I predominantly deal with uh, existing customers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have some agent dedicated equipment. A lot of them are asking questions about how, uh, what's cloud, what's it all about. Um, a lot of them are really uh, concerned about saving money. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, their kits uh, fairly old. They may be paying um, the same rate they, they first paid when they signed up. Um, so they've kind of caught the buzz that uh, cloud is cheaper. Cloud obviously, is cheaper, isn't it? Cloud, well, you know, <laughs> it, it can be. Faster. It can be as long as you're taking the right things to cloud. Oh. Um, if you are... If you're working with an if you're working with old kit, you've probably got old apps and legacy monolithic type apps on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be uh, a straightforward uh, move to cloud uh, and expect uh, costs to go down straight away. So there's some analysis to be done, um, which is what we do as essays. Yeah, um, we still have. I mean, what's what's I suppose we when we're very much ingrained in the industry, we we kind of think of this stuff as like almost old hat now, don't we? Like to us, cloud has been around for ages. We've been doing this thing for yonks, but so many customers and so many people out there we talk to, it is actually pretty new for them. So actually it can be a bit scary. They still have a lot of kind of like legacy applications, technical debt, all these kind of things floating around that they've got to deal with. And they're not necessarily as 
you know, they're not going to expect that the you know the cloud's going, or maybe they do expect the cloud's going to answer everything. I mean, what do you think, Kev? Does cloud answer everything? Uh, yeah, so I think it really depends on the customer workload. So it's not the answer for everything. Um, and for some customers, as Mark said, on legacy workloads, uh, essential just doing a lift and shift from where they are today and putting it onto cloud doesn't always work out cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, and I think the important thing to consider, everyone's on a, kind of a journey into cloud and some people see it as a kind of a buzzword and they, no matter what, they still want to move into cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where it's really quite interesting to explore the different customer journeys. Um, I say some of them are really interesting to get some kind of innovators, some kind of bleeding edge, where they're looking to take advantage of a lot more PaaS services, serverless mm-hmm. technologies. But others really, they're kind of constrained by their workload. I think that's a, the key element there. Is there's always a consideration of what they're trying to move from A to B. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that makes sense. I mean, talking about PaaS services or, or as a service model, I'm not going to use the abbreviation in one word, but <laughs> Talking about as a service model, um, we hear that all the time. People come to us and say, "Oh, I want to, I want to run things as a managed product. Mm. I don't, I don't want to be managing the servers. I don't want to be managing OSs." I, I think there's a huge gap in in exactly where what lies. So, for example, you can talk about infrastructure as a service versus platform versus versus software. Mm-hmm. It's not crystal clear. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. The so line is blurred quite often, isn't very, it? Very, very blurred. So mm-hmm. one person, one man's platform as a service is another man's infrastructure as a service. Mm-hmm. In that, where do you see, I mean, in your conversations that you guys have with, with customers, where do you see that line coming through when you talk about cloud? Do you tend to automatically gravitate towards as a service components or does the customer dictate on how or where you should go? Yeah, and are, the, are customers asking for those higher level PaaS and serverless and all these lovely things? Or are they just going, actually, can I just grab it and chuck it in the cloud to start off with? What do you What do you think? Um, so a lot of the time, uh, customers, as I say, they think they can save a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at their workloads um, and they want to do something similar to what they do in dedicated in the old-fashioned world, um, but doing cloud. A lot of the time, if you look at their workloads, you can assess and say, well, actually, um, maybe this will work better on a PaaS mm-hmm. uh, platform because potentially if you're already writing your own code, um, but there is a PaaS platform in cloud that can just take your code, run it, deploy it on infrastructure without you having to worry about it, that could be a good fit for mm-hmm. PaaS. Um, sometimes if they need a, uh, a relational database backend, um, and it fits a particular kind of engine mm. and a cloud platform may have a particular kind of engine that suits that. Yep. Then again, um, we can lead customers a particular way. Um, ultimately, uh, it's 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 on them to make the final call as to whether they think it's going to be right for a short or medium or long-term mm. uh, type of engagement. Yeah. Uh, but so we can certainly lead them in the, in, uh, in the right direction. But of course, we do it under their advisement. So if they've got the development resources to be able to refactor stuff, yeah. um, then it, it can be a good call. That's uh, a really interesting one because the, 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 com- the term that we've historically always used was always about lift and shift, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yep. But the one that I'm hearing all the time now, I've heard it so many times, even just in the last month, is move and improve. Right. Move so and it's improve. The, yeah, so let's, let's, instead of lifting it and then dumping it and leaving it in place, let's actually start to, okay, extract elements of that application stack, drop that into something pacified or serverless or whatever, but actually just do that in a kind of gradual motion rather than trying to um, transform your entire application in a one I think the thing to consider as well is um, that the customer, their appetite for change and their kind of technical mm. efficiency in, in-house in terms of their development. Uh, so 
if, if you're going to do like a, a move and improve and you're going to make it take advantage of all these things such as serverless technology, PaaS components, there has to be some actual application changes. So that sometimes can take time. So some customers actually prefer the approach of as a phase one on a lift and shift into cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And some of it, as I say, it can be a bit of a buzzword to so say, I've actually moved into a public cloud platform. Um, but then <laughs> yeah. once they're there as a phase two, it would be uh, an improve. But the, the challenge I always find is once you've actually taken that phase one and just done a lift and shift and you're there, sometimes it then can be harder to get the appetite yep. to actually yep. move and improve. So there, there is that, there's pros and cons to both. Um, ideally to get the most benefits, you're look to kind of improve the code, mm-hmm. um, look to say take advantage of all those different features. Absolutely. I mean, there's another concept around PaaS, and, and this is something that I have asked a few of our customers, kind of offended some people in, in, in the way. <laughs> um, it's when, when someone comes to me and says, uh, I want to run this in PaaS, specifically mm-hmm. databases, and I always ask the question, mm-hmm. okay, tell me what do you mean by PaaS? What do you think about PaaS? Because in my point of view, my mind, of when you say PaaS, I think about everything underneath the database is PaaS. Mm-hmm. But then I'm, I'm going to pick a specific example. If you take Amazon RDS, mm-hmm. people think it's PaaS. I don't think it's PaaS because what you do get end of the day is you get the OS layer obfuscated. Obviously, you don't know anything about it. Yep. But your limitations of the hardware still exist. Mm-hmm. So as, as a theory, it's just a slightly automated IaaS. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I, it sort of gets very tricky because sometimes people think if I, uh, what we provide as Rackspace is PaaS, technically. Yeah, it's, we, it's, we offloading, it's offloading risk and responsibility, isn't it? Exactly. I think that's probably where some people would draw the line of PaaS is, okay, I've gotten rid of this thing. I don't need to worry about it anymore. So RDS is a prime example there. You know, a lot of the major cloud providers will have an equivalent of that, you know. Um, so Google's got their, um, a number of like MySQL services, for example. Exactly. Um, and the, the idea there being, I don't, I don't care about patching and all these things, but the reality is there are still going to be outages on those platforms for patching because somebody else has to do that on your behalf. Absolutely. Um, so you're not necessarily gaining the true, you know, 100% availability for no input and, you know, et cetera, et cetera which is actually where you want to start to move to some of those wider scale platforms that have actually been designed from the ground up to be highly available, highly scalable, elastic, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we talk about RDS just a moment ago. Um, I was actually speaking to a customer in London yesterday who are actually taking some workloads out of RDS. They've been mm-hmm. using it quite a bit. Interesting. Um, but because of the, it's not quite fully compatible with SQL, and mm. what they're trying to do, right. they're actually finding it's not working out uh, so well for them. So very um, specific features that they need to utilize. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still like the service. Uh, again, not having to worry about patching and managing the uh, the, the VM behind the mm-hmm. scenes is, is a value for them, but um, they need more compatibility with SQL Server. Um, so, so you highlight a really good point there. So that's uh, that when you go down the PaaS route, you're giving up some of the flexibility there's, there's another point uh, to think about in, in the PaaS route, and it, it's also a conversation I had with a customer a couple of months ago, is they've went full PaaS mm-hmm. um, and, and, and used some you know, serverless technologies as well with, within that. Mm-hmm. But then they came and said, actually, they had some questions around security. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the full visibility of security they used to have with a mm. physical uh, yep. infrastructure where they had um, agents run on there. So they had like, uh, security devices, yep. um, be able to report back. So then... In some ways, you're kind of offloading that security aspect onto the vendor you're, you're choosing to go with. So mm-hmm. th- there's, there's another kind of aspect to it of 
what kind of eyes and ears you want in terms of the security on your system? Um, are you happy to use native um, features, say with some Microsoft platform or AWS, or do you actually want to install your own security agents onto them? Absolutely, mm-hmm. and and those are some of the key considerations. I mean, every time, uh, and I repeat this whenever I have a conversation, when a customer comes in and talks about as a service, I always break it down to what their expectations are from as a service. Some mm-hmm. of them think mm-hmm. they're going to get everything. Some of them actually think of IaaS as mm-hmm. a service. So absolutely, to all your points, security, flexibility, control, mm-hmm. main things. There's another one as well to think of um, before we move on is, is vendor lock-in. Um, mm-hmm. Some absolutely. customers we've come to before and they want to use, an, uh, say, an AWS platform, for example, but they don't want to use um, a lot of the, the PaaS services. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, And they want to bring across... Um, Obviously, more open source technologies bring across, but then that can make it more challenging in terms of the management and architecting mm. that design. Mm-hmm. But because, uh, for example, for them, if they have another client and they don't, that client wants it to be on a different cloud platform, they can then move it across. So that's again a, a benefit. There's, you're losing some of the cloud benefits of that vendor, mm-hmm. but then you're trying to keep it portable to move elsewhere. The so low, lowest common denominator <laughs> between the clouds. That's the interesting one. With we're gonna, I'm gonna bring it up again. Special K. Special K. We love a bit of Special K here, a bit of Kubernetes. You know, you start talking about uh, Kubernetes and containers, you've kind of got a, an interesting balance there where you're, you're partway to PaaS because you're taking some elements out of your day-to-day, especially if you're, you're effectively making these as immutable um, kind of images and so forth. But what you're, what you're gaining is the portability across cloud, but you're still having to do a lot of that management, a creation of the images. You've got to, you know, there's a lot more involved but you're gaining the portability and you're gaining that cross-cloud piece. What do you think about customers who are going down that route into the container route? And do you see containers as a a short-term thing or do you think this is going to be like a a definitely a futuristic long-term thing and we're going to be still talking in 20 years about it, containers like we talked about mainframes? Ah, Or we still talk about mainframes. We still talk about mainframes. So personally, I think containers are awesome. If you can... Uh, write your apps, you can mm-hmm. get a nice lean image, mm-hmm. they're fantastic um, the first time I got exposed to them was watching uh, some videos on Google's YouTube channel, AWS and Azure as well, where they do the demonstrations of how they built the image you know, adding it to the uh, registry and then calling it out and having, you know, testing some load against it mm-hmm. um, and then watching the counter scale up to thousands of instances across their uh, regional data centers worldwide I think if you need the scale, um, it's absolutely uh, the right way. But you've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you know, get your code ready. Mm. You've got to get your images ready. Uh, you've got to have a lot of the expertise there. I'm not sure about you, but I've also seen there's use case where customers use containers in the wrong way. So certain applications that fit very well into doing containerize, but in some customers are trying containerize any sort of application, how small or large <laughs> yeah. it is. And so yes. it goes, but definitely is, is good use cases um, for using containers. Uh, and absolutely. there's a lot more conversations to have with customers. Uh, I'm, I'm a lot more customers this year than I was last year. Um, and especially I'd say, uh, say working Google Ops recently, there's um, seems to be a, a big thing of using um, GK in Google. Definitely. And, and again, this is another thing where I end up tearing my hair out in a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's that way it went. It's, it's frustrating when, when you talk about container. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I don't have any hair, so it's fine. I don't know that. Yeah, this is where, this is when, <laughs> this is uh, audio versus visual would have been more helpful, I think. This is the uh, whole face for radio thing. It would, it would. It's <laughs> yeah. not a face for a video. Um, 
looping back in. So uh, I always have this difficult conversations when, when customers come and say, I'm, go I'm going to make my application containerized when they're running a .NET MS SQL application. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a huge challenge. And I, and I try... Sure there's .NET Core now, though. Oh, .NET Core, absolutely. And, and <laughs> Azure SQL, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, so I always try and explain this, and I don't know if you guys come across this, is people don't tend to understand the, the breadth. Again, we talked about as a service earlier and the breadth of as a service solutions. Mm -hmm. There is a similar breadth of container solutions. So you talk about microservices, we talk about service-oriented architecture, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't seem to grasp that there are steps that can be taken towards containers. Mm -hmm. so 12-factor apps, etc. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you start with breaking down your services, making it more blocks of services in the same application. Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys have a lot of conversations around customers who don't know containers but still want to do containers? So I, I think in our role, we're quite privileged because we work across all the clouds. Um, we can go um, as in-depth as we need to um, to understand the technologies that we're, that we're offering. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes we forget that customers, as you say, the cloud would be new to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, they may have heard the latest buzzword, but actually, great, how do we actually get onto this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So definitely, I think a lot of the fun in my role is talking to them, kind of show them the art of the possible, um, as uh, some of our colleagues like to say, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then just kind of taking them on that journey uh, to get there slowly. Sometimes a little and bit faster, and sometimes and sometimes guide people to be realistic in what their expectations mm. are. So, a prime example with the container conversation is okay. It's awesome that you want to go down the container route or down the Kubernetes route. Do you own the source code? Because okay. if you don't own the source code, you're buying an off-the-shelf piece of software, and you go, "I want to do this Kubernetes thing." Well, does that vendor support their software running in a container environment? Because if they don't, you're immediately into a really interesting and slightly tricky bumpy area around oh, how do right. i get this implemented what about the and supported? license agreement yeah. guys think about the legal implications mm -hmm. yeah for sure um so the other thing i, I suppose we haven't really dug into too much is is serverless right so we've, serverless. we've alluded to it <laughs> that's gonna be our next buzzword serverless it does yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact actually i was i was uh, at, a, at a cloud conference just recently and i was talking to a chap who his role is entirely in the serverless space so he, he lives and breathes it. a container himself? <laughs> yeah um, and it, it's fascinating to see the kind of completely different approach that somebody who comes from that as a native background compared to somebody who's come from a traditional infrastructure background and they're almost like the uh, I'm not going to say it's like religious <laughs> levels of uh, <laughs> conversation that go on but I mean what what's what's your experience with customers looking at serverless are you thinking are you seeing a lot of these kind of earlier adopters of serverless um, using it on mass or you know bits and pieces or what the one, ones I've seen and really uh, customers are building new applications then uh, they're the ones who are kind of looking at taking it uh, either they say containerized or something like Kubernetes or actually going down the route of serverless mm -hmm. um, that's that's where because it's, it's kind of a blank page so if it's a new application you're not bringing across anything your legacy that's where you can start looking at it and I, I think there it, that's where you also get the benefits of cloud because if you go down to the serverless route you're paying for what you use um, and it, it's really on demand. So the actual cost, if you do a cost comparison of what that is in a physical world to what mm. is a serverless, so obviously, obviously a lot of it depends on the application code, making sure it's um, designed efficiently. Yep. But then um, you, you hear about really large workloads that are actually costing a couple hundred dollars a month. Exactly. Mm. exactly. But, that's, but there's, there, you make a really good point there, though, about 
the scale that it can run at. So you can run it at a massive broad scale, right? You can scale out hugely, but with a serverless type workload, you're limited very much on the amount of resource that an individual process can consume. So that's a completely different way for developers to have to think mm -hmm. about writing code. Um, and going back to size point about Microsoft developers, <laughs> who might be used to having you know thirty two gig to run their application in, absolutely, um, it's it's less uh, less suitable. So how does that then impact customers' ability to adopt that? Or are we saying literally throw away the old and start with the new? Um, well, so so as not to alarm anyone listening, there will always be servers behind the scenes. <laughs> it's just how much Phew. you see as a a customer or developer. Um, so I think one interesting thing is pricing. Um, for serverless, um, if you're writing code and it runs on executions and how much memory it uses, uh, that's great. But it's very different from the old way of, you know, here's my instance, here's a certain amount of CPU, here's a certain amount of RAM, here's a certain amount of storage, mm. to just go into executing code and how long that code executes for. So there's a there's a bit of a, a mind shift to occur mm -hmm. uh, there. Yeah, I think we're heading towards Tron cycles. Tron cycles. <laughs> how many cycles is this going to take? <laughs> Uh, but no, it's a good point. It's a good point um, around going serverless. Because Mark, as you say, absolutely, there are there are going to be servers in the background. There's always going to be physical machines somewhere, uh, and it 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 brings the whole concept of uh, um, what's a managed service provider. Because if you effectively think about it, just using containers in a managed service provider's environment makes it serverless mm -hmm. to the end customer because they don't really care where the server is. They don't really care what, what cloud it's on. Mm -hmm. How do we get to containerless then? Ooh, oh, there's a, ooh, oh, there's wow. a concept. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe the, the next keyword is containerless. I'll ask you a question then. Here's, a, here's something that comes off the back of all of those, right? So we talked about like paths and serverless and containers and all this really awesome nerdy stuff that we like. Why are we doing this, right? Are we doing this as a technology-driven thing because we're nerds and we love it? Or are we doing this because it helps businesses to be more agile? What, like, what, why are we doing this? I think, I think it's interesting. It goes back to the podcast we had a couple of sessions ago. We had actually we had George in. He spoke about the business, the why, why customers want to move to cloud. And, uh, and all of this, we, sometimes we can lose sight of the fact of the why, what, what we're trying to do. And mm -hmm. sometimes if you don't actually understand the business reasons, you can design something that's technically great, but then it's, it's missed the point because, it, as I said before, it's a legacy workload. It'd be doubly expensive, and <laughs> it, it's, it's not going to fit. But some customers, it can be technology-driven. They say, actually, I want to use these features. I want to make um, our go-to-market quicker because we can adopt technology quicker. So mm -hmm. it, I think, yeah, understanding the customer's business objective is, is really critical, even for us as technologists. Absolutely, and, and kudos, KK. Hashtag plug in an early episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that I'm doing this because I have bills to pay. Um, <laughs> all this tech stuff doesn't come cheap. So you're right, right? We've all got bills to pay. That's a very good point, right? Um, but what I see sometimes is uh, from some organizations is that the organizations are run by somebody whose bills to pay sometimes overrides their organization's requirements. So their personal needs exceed the needs of their organization in terms of their IT strategy. So I like to call that the CV-driven IT strategy <laughs> or resume-driven IT mm. strategy, right? Yep. To, to Kev's point, um, you know, I might move something into the cloud because actually it looks better for me to have said I've done a cloud transformation. Right. I have come across those uh, individuals before, actually. Mm -hmm. um, it sometimes is the right decision, uh, but maybe the, the, the cloud of choice isn't 
the right uh, place. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the technologies they want to use isn't the right choice. But yeah, I, I have seen those um, in my past. Mm-hmm. And the cloud of choice, does it, does it have to be a public cloud? Ah, good, good, good. Very good question. Not necessarily. Uh, again, depending on the workloads, depending on the potential utilization, uh, dedicated uh, private cloud might make better sense, or at least a cloud within a, a data center provider's uh, premises where you can understand the costs, you can predict the costs, mm-hmm. uh, rather than being on a kind of flexible, elastic model. An example of that would be a customer who's on a legacy workload at the moment. They're, they're actually redeveloping their application or <coughs> releasing new applications into. Um, the, the new applications would fit well on public cloud. Yep. Then, is there any real need for them to move the legacy applications across to public cloud as well? Probably going to cost them more money. Um, probably maybe harder to manage. Um, it's migration time. So those ones where they're phasing it out, and you still got legacy workloads. Why not keep those on on a private cloud platform? Mm. That that's just one one example. So then you can have that kind of strategy approach. We have some on private, some on the public cloud. So that's when you're kind of analyzing each workload. Yep. But I mean, an, another conversation can be to have some customers where you look at that and you give them the advice of actually this isn't really a cloud workload. Um, they're kind of single servers. There's, there's no resilience that can be built in, so they kind of rely on the hardware. But then they still want to move to public cloud anyway. Mm. Um, it's a business decision to move it to public cloud, even though it's going to potentially cost more. It's actually going to have less resilience. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and I hear this numerous times as well. I, when you go to customers, to speak to them. Some of them say we have a cloud first strategy, mm-hmm. and, and I always question it. Y- you can't have a cloud first strategy when your applications are not, not ready for the cloud. Mm. And this is, brings the whole service provider discussion into, into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, you have some experience with this. Well, th- I, I think I would guess that we probably all got some experience on this one, which is um, working with software vendors. Mm-hmm. So um, historically, everybody <coughs> bought some software and then they installed it on one machine in their data center mm-hmm. and then it ran there for 10 years oh. and they paid a lot of money in support. Yep. And then eventually they would end of life at, at some point or maybe continue to pay support well beyond the end of life, yep. right? Um, then customers said, I don't like that model anymore. I want to move from the CapEx um, to an OpEx model. I want to consume this and have you worry about patching and uptime and all those things. But software vendors aren't ready for that yet, many of them at least. They're, they can't jump instantaneously from this traditional model to this new model of yep. SaaS. So there always ends up being this kind of halfway house, doesn't there? Absolutely. Where they're deploying SaaS in a quote-unquote multi-tenant environment, which in the reality of it is... It's lots and lots of single instances. Exactly my question. It's not SaaS, it's IaaS yep. with a shroud of SaaS on top of it. Exactly. But for the customer's perspective, that's all right because they don't have to manage it anymore. But from the actual provider's perspective or the vendor's perspective of that software, they've got a heck of a lot of work to do to get that working as a, as a true SaaS product. And often it's better for them to throw away their legacy code and write it from scratch while simultaneously running this um, you know, quote unquote, hosted platform. Absolutely, and 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 yeah, absolutely. To your point, cost is not just running costs; it's man hours mm-hmm. to manage that, implement that, patch it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we, we we talk about that. We talk about software and service providers. Um, what about workloads? What about other stuff? Costs are always going to be a factor. I know. I know. We talked about pays our bills. Mm-hmm. How how does it how, how does it affect? Workloads. I mean, what suitable workloads are for the cloud? Because as your point, Kevin, I know you mentioned there are some applications that would not go to the cloud. And I'm, I'm going to bring back the old term hybrid, uh, which is, which is not, 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 not used a lot nowadays. But the question is, 
hybrid is still suitable for some things. There are some applications that will not go in the cloud. Guys, what are your thoughts about it? Uh, so a wise man once said to me, cloud is for everyone, not everything. Mm. Um, with that in mind, you know, if if workloads can't take advantage of high availability, low balancing, they could stay where they are. Mm-hmm. If you've got a, let's just say, relational database backend, which is really heavy on IO, uh, CPU and RAM, um, that's probably not going to fit well into a cloud model. So the argument there is keep that database backend um, on a private uh, cloud where you understand and can predict the costs because mm. maybe they're the same every month and then look at uh, putting your more, uh, let's say, appy type workloads onto uh, your managed provider's own public type cloud if they've got one or perhaps even looking at using uh, one of the main public clouds and perhaps using some dedicated connectivity um, to tie your your, your your two ends together, your front ends and back ends. The, the biggest one for me would be if customers can't load balance your application. Because mm. if, mm. if you can't load balance your application, you've got a question, is that really a good use case to put on public cloud? Especially if it's production, especially if it's revenue generating. Mm-hmm. The, the database one can be also, um, I can be also a challenge, uh, but what I've noticed a lot of cloud vendors now are making that easier because there's um, there's large instance sizes you can yeah. have. There's mm. a, reser- a concept of reserved instances across all cloud platforms now. So for, for a cloud vendor, they're going to want customers to move their applications, whatever applications are, into their platform. Um, so I'd say, yeah, if customers can't load balance it, that is, to me, that's critical. Um, the database side, again, is there an appetite to look at a database optimize it, re-architect it. Mm. I mean, a a common one I've seen is with um, customers that are storing anything and everything in a relational database. Like, it'd be... be, (laughs) Is it the right model? Yeah, and it'd be kind of files, it'd be kind of using a database as file storage, essentially, for... Mm -hmm. I I mean, go back to the the SaaS platforms, and they're letting the customers kind of drop in and upload Word documents, images. That's really not the best place for it. Whoever whoever at Microsoft (laughs) invented putting blobs inside of Microsoft SQL (laughs) databases... Needs to find another file role, stream. I think. File stream. Yeah. Think about yeah, Oracle's. Aren't they? Um, but that that you make a really good point because I think the the giant server thing or the one you know the one big server thing ends up being a bit of a contentious issue because yeah. um, what it really comes down to is a cost benefit analysis, doesn't it? Because it may be simpler and easier to run it in a private cloud, or if you find that all of the other benefits that you're gaining for the rest of your application of the scale out nature and the elasticity and all the rest of it, if that then gets you more of a benefit then paying perhaps some of these quite hefty costs for some of these really chunky database platforms is worthwhile. Um, so there's definitely a lot of analysis that needs to go on when you're looking at those kind of workloads as to whether In, it's even worth it. Absolutely. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in a new concept as well. Private cloud on public cloud. Oh. This is what mm. VMware is bringing in. Yep. You guys yeah. have been hearing the news. So that brings another n- whole new twist to the whole discussion of where to put the workload because now you can run it on VMware in AWS, mm-hmm. which then confuses and creates hell for solutions <laughs> architects. Um, <laughs> so that's another but point. more Lego in the, bu- in the Lego box, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, Lego. Mini, mini Legos inside <laughs> a Lego. Um, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with someone who wants to go public cloud? I mean, it's it's I, I don't know. I always think in my mind it may be a good approach but then I, I see i see so many pitfalls to that i think it's a it's a really interesting product line that they brought in there um it's a it's a 
part of it to me almost feels a bit of a roll of the dice. You know, there's an element of risk there of the fact that this is making a stepping stone for customers to move to the cloud. But there's still going to be many, many customers who want to do things in a very enterprisey way but don't want to run their own data centers. I mean, what do you recommend? Um, I think that model could definitely work. Um, as you say, it's another it's another tool in the uh, tool chest for us mm-hmm. um, to offer a solution to our customers. Um, what I will say is uh, you may get the type of customer who still needs eyes on to, the, to, to their mm-hmm. equipment, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe for compliance reasons, yep. um, auditing. So it, it could work for some. It may not work for others. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that kind of model might be a little bit more expensive than just having you know IaaS um, in the cloud. So... It's all about um, let's assess the best. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if it works out from a cost perspective um, versus, say, just taking a step back and refactoring mm-hmm. um, um, and then making it cloud-ready, cloud-native, um, mm-hmm. it's all worth taking a look at. I think, uh, I think the, the VMware on AWS... Is it just AWS now? I think there's, there's others as well. I think they're, they're looking to... Well, that. yes, I think there's some uh, Azure elements to that as well, but not under the same product, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, it's a really interesting concept. But I, um, I think there's obviously a, a minimum amount of resources that's needed. It's, it's certainly aimed at the enterprise customers. I'll mm. be, I'll be interested to see how it takes off in the next uh, year or so. I, I can just sense uh, a, a massive battle emerging between software-defined networking and AWS networking, mm. vSAN and EBS. Oh my God, it's a mess. Uh, <laughs> it's like, certainly interesting to architect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's like, oh, I can put this VM on VMware, dedicated service with EBS. How does that work? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not long till we get to see because, uh, you know, we've got VMworld coming up, VMworld EU coming right. up in about a month's time. So I'm quite looking forward to going along to that and finding out what's going to happen there. Um, I think we're actually starting to come up on the on our end of time for this episode. Mm. Um, so I just want to say thank you very much to Mark and Kev for coming and joining us and talking about the, you know, why would we do this cloud thing? It's been awesome having you guys on. Thank you very much, Mark. You're welcome. Yep. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks, uh, thanks very much. Absolutely. I think, I think we need to definitely have more episodes surrounding all the concepts we've spoken about today. Definitely want to dig into that. Across. Also, I just want to say thank you very much to our producer, Carolina, because... Well, I was going to say Biscuit Gate has been resolved, but what Carolina doesn't realize is that I don't think these are actually biscuits. I think they're cookies. So I'm still going to go with the hashtag they Biscuit Gate. <laughs> biscuit Gate has been I know. hit with cookies. She tried. She tried. It was very kind of you, though, Carolina. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Carolina. Uh, as a final end, guys, uh, absolutely lo- listen to. Thank you for listening to our episode. Keep listening. Give us some feedback. Uh, write to us on Twitter. We are on uh, at Spotting Clouds. Uh, you can respond to us. Leave us feedback. Let us know how we did. Let us know what would you like to listen. And we should definitely get back to you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you. Peace out. Mm-hmm.